This is Ivarian NX, and this is The Candid Frame. I really love music, and I especially love the opportunity to see some of my favorite artists live in concert. There's just something special about having the opportunity to see someone that you've really loved and whose albums and CDs you've listened to over the years, and having a chance to see them play right in front of you. One of the things that I've always been a little envious of is some of the photographers that get to be really up close to capture wonderful images of some of these wonderful performers. And today's guest is a photographer who has the opportunity to do this on a regular basis. Alan Hess is the author of All Access, Your Backstage Past to Concert Photography. And I recently had the opportunity to sit down and talk with him while I was in Vegas. And it really gave me a perspective in terms of what's involved in this type of photography. Not only the technical challenges involved in being able to produce a good photograph of a live performance, but also about the sort of intricacies of negotiating access and some of the business concerns that you have in terms of being able to successfully not only produce great images, but make a potential living from making photographs of performers. So I was really glad that we had the time this weekend to sit down and chew uh, chew the fat a a little. And I hope that you really enjoy this conversation because I know I did. So here's my conversation with Alan Hess. Well, Alan, welcome to The Candid Frame. Thank you. It's good to be here. It was uh, really interesting when I was sitting uh, with you at, at Vegas and having the opportunity to see you talk with uh, a couple of other guys. And uh, it gave me a real appreciation for what you do, because while you guys were talking there, there was less talk about photography and there was so much talk about music and guitarists. And, and it just made me really aware in terms of how much you love what you shoot. And how music seems to be a real big part of your life, and it's not just a subject you you, you photograph. Uh, when did that start with you? Is it kind of typical when you're sort of a adolescent that you got hooked on some a particular band or album, and that sort of changed everything for you? Uh, I've my parents actually are probably mostly responsible for my love of music. Um, they we grew up in a house where music was played. I mean, they didn't play any instruments, or you know, it wasn't like my I'm from a band or anything like that, but the, they played the stereo. The Beatles were played constantly when I was a kid. Um, you know, one of the greatest stories when my parents actually saw the Beatles live on their honeymoon. To me, that was like, wow. Oh my God, how awesome was that? You know, of course, there was probably, you know, 300,000 people and they were in the back of a room and, you know, they were little matchsticks on this field. But I mean, it was kind of like music was always a very cool thing when I was growing up. And uh, in the 80s, um, no, I was born in 1968. So in, in the 80s in high school, right around, you know, my junior high school, I was introduced to a little band called the Grateful Dead. And that changed pretty much everything. I, I thought the music was incredibly interesting. It was um, a little bit more involved than the, you know, heavy metal I'd listened to when I was a little younger and a little more involved in some of the rock and roll I listened to. And when I went off to college, I kind of started seeing as many Grateful Dead shows as I could in 
in the area. I wasn't one of those guys who traveled across the country, you know, back and forth and dropped out of school and did all that kind of stuff. I, I went to college, but at the same time, I managed to catch uh, a lot of Grateful Dead shows on the West Coast. Um, I went to school up in Oregon, so it was very easy to go to San Francisco or up to Portland or, you know, basically on the West Coast. And uh, I loved it. And they had a very liberal policy when it came to just about everything. So people could record the shows. They had no problem with people bringing cameras into the shows. They had no problem with people literally selling stuff in the parking lot, including pictures from the shows. And so I was kind of introduced to this rock and roll photography from a very like side point. It wasn't like I picked up magazines and went, oh, that looks like fun. Mm-hmm. I actually saw people in the audience taking pictures of the band, and then I would see those pictures later on outside. And I was like, you know, that's kind of interesting. And um, so one show I brought in a camera and started taking some pictures, and I really loved it. It was like... I love the mechanical, you know, mathematical part of photography, and I love the freedom of the music, and I love being able to combine the two of them together. And from that point on, I, I tended to just have a lot of friends who were in bands or around bands. I, I can't play an instrument. I'll, I'll tell you right now, I am musically inept. I've had people try to teach me how to play guitar. Um, they give up really quickly because I don't have an ear for it. But I do love capturing the moment. Um, as I see it. And so that was kind of like the introduction to music photography. And because there wasn't any of this, you know, needed a photo pass or a three song thing or anything, you could just take your camera and shoot from the crowd and have some fun. And as long as you didn't um, disturb anyone else having fun, they really didn't care. And to me, that was the start um, of what has been a very interesting 20 years, 30 years. Oh, I feel so old right now. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so that was that was started back in the 80s and it went all the way through college and I never planned to be a photographer. I um I got a degree in computer science and English. Uh I took darkroom classes, I took photography classes. Um never took color photography, just black and white and and you know learning how to use a darkroom and basically it was just this really fun hobby that I had and and I could combine my love of live music with my love of photography and just have it as kind of something to do. Yeah. You know, when you start shooting at first, you know, I would suspect that you make a lot of photographs that you probably like, but don't compare to the photographs that you were probably seeing other people sort of produce. So when did, when did it become more of a hobby and become more serious? And, and how did you develop that, that eye and that skill to be able to make the kind of photographs that you really aspire to? Part of it was financial. Uh, which is going to sound kind of strange, but back then this is obviously pre-digital. So every image that I shot, every frame that I captured um, cost me money. Um, I mean, literal, actual, physical money. I had to buy a roll of film, then I had to develop the roll of film. So it turned out that if I was shooting slide film, and that's that was my what I really enjoyed shooting, especially later on, it was $10 a roll and $10 to get it developed. So $20 for 36 exposures, and every time I pressed the button in my head, I was like, okay, that's 70 cents. Mm. So I stopped pressing the button um, randomly. <laughs> there's, there's no better way to, I mean, a lot of people now in the digital and, and you, you know, you do this kind of like spray and pray concept where you take, you know, 3 million pictures and you hope one in the middle comes out. You couldn't do that with film because you had to really think about, do I need this picture? Do I need this picture? And it really did help my timing. And when it comes to concert photography, 
one of the things I, I have started to realize, um, and I, and I constantly am trying to learn and, and, you know, improve my st- myself is that when I'm looking back at the pictures, I can actually hear the performance. I was there. I know what they were playing. Um, it, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that was a great moment. They were playing this song. Everyone loved it. The crowd went crazy. When you're looking at the picture and you're not there and you have no idea when it was taken, you don't have that kind of association. So I had to try to start capturing the moment where the actual picture said that without having the music. Does that, does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah and it, it was, it was, so it's all about timing. It was all about making sure that whatever I captured actually showed something, um, an, an expression, uh, a movement, you know, something with the lighting, something, an interaction with a crowd, a facial expression, um, an emotion There needed to be something, in each frame. So I started slowing down. I started realizing that I didn't need to shoot, you know, 10 rolls of film in a show. I could probably do the same thing with five rolls. And then after a while it was like, well, I can probably do that with three rolls. And, and you come back and you're like, wow, I only have, you know, 110 pictures from this concert. But now instead of having 50 good ones out of a thousand, I'm getting 50 good ones out of a hundred. And I'm getting, I'm getting pickier. And I'm like, all right, now I've actually got like, 12 good ones out of the hundred and, and I'm really only liking two of them. So I started uh, critiquing myself and there wasn't a lot, there weren't a lot of people around who you could go to and go, Hey, how do you do this? You know, it seemed like there was, there wasn't any place to learn how to do it. So I kind of did it by trial and error and I was really, I'm still really harsh on myself. I still come out of a show and be like, man, there was nothing there tonight. I got nothing. And then I'll go back through it, you know, a day or two later and I'll be like, Oh, okay. Those two, those three are pretty good. But that was that was basically financially. I didn't want to spend all my money on film and developing. Mm-hmm. So I started getting better, and that was um, that was something that's really missing today because there's no financial cost anymore. You can take uh, six hundred pictures on a memory card, and then take six hundred more, and you know it never. You, can, you spend it once, and you never have to worry about buying another one. I wonder how. You talk about that you were around some other people who were also taking pictures, but did the influences of of some of the uh, legendary rock photographers like Jim Marshall come into play in terms of, you know, you observing what they had done, you know, 10 or 20 years before you and and have that influence, you know, being able to learn that that special moment and how to capture it? Jim, (laughs) there were two photographers um, really that influenced me concert-wise, and Jim Marshall and uh, Annie Leibovitz, both of those just because of their, their rock and roll history. But weirdly enough, I only came to them after I'd already been shooting for a while. So it wasn't, it wasn't like I'd, I'd looked up a bunch of photographers and, and there was no, um, there was the internet, but there was no worldwide web when I started. It wasn't, you know, you couldn't just like log on and go, Oh, I wonder, you know, let me look up concert photography and, you know, see what people are doing. You had to actually like track down a, Rolling Stone magazine and started going through it and looking for the photo credits. And, you know, uh, there was a magazine that was um, dedicated to the Grateful Dead scene called uh, Dead Relics. It's still, it's still around called Relics. Um, but you would get like flyers and you'd see some of those stuff. But it was more like there were people in the parking lots who um, you'd see, uh, you know, oh man, that's a great picture. And they'd actually have them for sale. And I still have a couple of pictures that I bought from photographers who I have no idea who they are. But it was like, man, that that really captured the moment. I want that picture, and then I would study it. I would be like, okay, what what makes this a great picture? Why did I? Why was I attracted to it? 
you know, and it would be something like it, a the composition was good, and b the you know um, the exposure was good, and that was you know probably the hardest thing right off the bat was to nail the exposure. And, and once I started getting the exposure down, then I started concentrating on the composition, and now I'm, I'm confident with both, so I can start experimenting a little bit more. But Jim Marshall is probably one of the best live and portrait and music photographers that there ever was and ever will be because he had access and he demanded access that just doesn't happen these days. So he got to do things that most people don't. And um, while I've worked with bands and, and have, you know, been backstage and on stage and do the rest of it, there's not, it's not quite the same wild woolly days as it was when he was shooting, um, you know, some of his iconic photos if anyone's interested, there's a there's a book that came out of Jim Marshall's photography called Trust. It has a picture of Janis Joplin on the cover, and it's probably one of the best things I ever seen on, on photography in general. But it's how he built up trust with his subjects, and how they trusted him to only show pictures that were either true or you know it, that they didn't look bad in. And, and to me, that became a, a, a really important thing, especially uh, as I've become, you know, more professional, as I've, as I've turned this into more of a job as, than a hobby. Um, uh, I live by the, the concept that I'm not going to show a photograph that I would not be willing to walk up to the musician and show them in person and be proud of. There's no, they're not going to see something that was just like, oh, yeah, look, he looks like an idiot or he's falling over or that's that's funny or it's well done, but it makes the, the musician look bad. I, I'm never going to show that. And that's become, you know, how I work. And I will send pictures to the musicians directly. And I've got a lot of positive feedback and a lot of extra work because they're like, wow, he makes us look good. So a lot of that came from looking at Jim's pictures and realizing that he got to capture moments that no one else did and that his um, subjects still trusted him. So what would you say that during, compared to his time, what are some of the big things that have changed? I mean, one of the things you, you mentioned is, is access, but what are some of the other things that have changed that you think it's kind of important to understand if anyone's really interested in doing this kind of photography today? Well, there's, there's a lot of middle management that just didn't exist back then. There's a lot of record labels and publicists and, and people and venue rules and, and um, a lot of big companies have kind of inserted themselves between the musicians and the photographers and it's a lot more controlling just on the, on the basics right now um, the general rule of concert photography is you get to shoot the first three songs of the show usually from the photo pit without a flash and they can usually only be used for whatever purpose you applied to get the photo pass for. So if you, if you're working, um, I'm a house photographer right now. One of the jobs I have is I'm, I shoot for the Valley View Casino Center, which is the uh, San Diego, the old San Diego sports arena. So I'm hired by them. I need to get permission from the band and then the photos are used by the Valley View Casino Center. I can't take those photos and start putting them on mugs and sell them. So it's, it doesn't have, I don't have the same, rights to the images as you would let's say if you were out shooting a landscape and you decide oh that's a beautiful landscape i'm going to put it on a t-shirt and you know it'll be great even those rules are changing now uh country and western artists tend to have no photo pit because they really like to be closer to their audience uh, just i for what i've noticed over the last couple of years and most of them are now requiring that you shoot just the first two songs or the second and third song you know some two song limit 
and and a lot of bands are now uh, requiring photographers to shoot from the um, front of the house or the the soundboard, which is behind the crowd, you know, more towards the back of the house. I'm not sure why they call it front of house when it's actually like back of house, but so you know, you're now a lot further away from the stage than than ever before. Um, I shot Carrie Underwood last night for the Valley View Casino Center, and I was shooting from the soundboard, and that requires like a 400 millimeter lens, you know, a lot more expense, a lot more. Um, you know, uh, a lot more expense. Uh, getting a 400 millimeter lens to shoot two songs is a is a major undertaking. Do you have an understanding about why why there are increasingly more and more restrictions on photography? I mean, part of the performance sort of marketing is is how these images sort of promote the experience of of their live performances. But it seems like. I, to some extent, I can understand that they want to control the use of the images of the of the performer and how it shows up. But it seems like sometimes they make it very difficult for you, for people to produce a really good photograph of of the same subject. That that's a really interesting point because as photographers, and I've discussed this with quite a few people, we're not really sure why they make it so difficult. They actually they actually make it to a point where um, they're not getting quality images and. And part of it is that, I mean, the, the, the internet for all the, you know, good and connecting people around the world and all that kind of, you know, lovely stuff and you can research anything. It's also made it incredibly easy for people to share images, which is great, um, until they're sharing images of band members that, that they don't like. Um, and so they just lump photography in as general, but the, the really frustrating part, um, is that, while we're standing at the back of the room trying to get, you know, one or two decent frames that everyone's going to love um, with, you know, $20,000 worth of camera gear, the person sitting in the front row with their cell phone is, you know, videotaping the entire performance with, you know, uh, the high end, you know, cell phones. Now you can, you know, take eight megapixel images in pretty good low light and, you know, have them on the internet before the person's, you know, finished singing the song. Mm. So there's a real, like, the genie's kind of out of the bottle on some of that stuff, and, and bands are going to have to change policies, or they're going to find out that it's not the professional photographers that are the problem, it's, it's their audience members, who is the bread and butter, so they can't really, you know, offend them. But we've, we've stayed through the back of venues, and it's one of the most amazing things to see. You see the performer come out, and in front of you, there is a sea of, of cell phone camera screens. Mm. Everyone holds the camera above their head, um, you know, and spends the next, you know, 20 or 30 minutes trying to record the entire performance. Which, yeah, because you just like, you miss out on so much of the experience of just being there. The whole purpose of being there is sort of to be completely immersed in, in the music and, Seems like it's so pre people are so preoccupied with recording that with the intent of being able to share it with their friends that it seems like you're sort of missing the whole point of being there. Yeah, it's it's a real it's really odd. Um, I don't understand it at all. I I have seen it at every single show. There was a, a show a couple of years ago, and and um, uh, when the the main performer uh, Eminem and I wasn't shooting, I was I was actually done for the day. I was leaving when he came out on stage. It, it, like the entire venue lit up by the amount of cell phones people were holding above their heads. And it was crazy because no one was actually looking at him. Everyone was looking at him on the back of their camera. I mean, on their, on the back of their phone, it was like, he's right in front of you and you're staring at him on this little four inch screen. It, <laughs> it was, it was one of those moments where it was like, that's just weird. I'm, I'm not sure what I'm doing here. Does 
your ability to say have built sort of a long-term relationship with an individual performer or with a band help you in terms of the kinds of images that you're able to get? I mean, you mentioned that sometimes you're able to get backstage, but I think a big part of the, the photographers from the 60s and the 70s was the fact that they had these, you know, intimate relationships with these these people. And I know that you have a lot of people now in between you and the subjects, but I'm, but I'm really kind of curious to hear whether or not you know, that it's, whether it's still possible to develop a sort of, if not a, a, a friendship with, with the performers, a sort of familiarity that kind of helps you to do what you do. Oh, absolutely. Um, this, there's, there's a couple of, there's a couple of people I've, I've met, um, and have, uh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this. I, I have always used my images to, to speak for me. And many times the images have actually made it back to band members. And because they have liked what they've seen, they've actually contacted me. And many times I've, I've ended up in friendships with them. And that has uh, enabled me to get more access. It's enabled me to shoot them more often. It's, it's, um, and, and a friendship between them, or at least, uh, some of them aren't friends, but they're very good acquaintances. <laughs> you know, I, I, I probably wouldn't call them if I needed bail money, but I would definitely <laughs> mail them if I was in town, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it's, it's, it helps a lot because the more you know someone, the more you can actually photograph them and you can you watch them and you understand what they're doing and you can talk to them and they can be like, oh, I really love this or that was a terrible night. And, and you can start like developing a little bit more you know, personnel, if you shoot the same model 10 or 15 times, by the 15th time, you have a relationship. A lot of times with bands, if you shoot them 15 times, there's no, it's a one-way relationship. You you might get better because you know what they're going to play or you know what they look like or you know what they might do, but there's no real relationship. The lucky part is that some of the missions I've shot, I actually have spoken to about the performance. Oh, that was really fun tonight. This looked great. And they're like, oh, man, that was terrible. I really, you know, was having a hard time with that. And I'm like, wow, that didn't show you know, there was a lot of emotion on your face and I took it for, you know, good emotion and it turned out it was bad emotion, but you can't tell that when it's happening. It just looks like there's, you know, some kind of something going on and mm. you capture that. And, uh, it's made that a lot, a lot more interesting. And, and honestly, it's also opened up a lot of doors. And now every single time that I have met a musician and become friends with them, it has been because they have usually seen one or two images that I have sent either to the publicist, the band, or whoever I was shooting for. I didn't send them 300 or, you know, the whole show. It's usually yeah. two shots that really captured something. And they were like, damn, that was good. You know, really like that. And then they've gotten a hold of me and, and things have moved from there. One of the things that uh, I, I loved hearing was about, you providing information to the musician in terms of the performance and how they appear when they get photographed in terms of certain sort of ticks that they may have in terms of like when they're hitting a note on the guitar and how they throw their head back and that it doesn't look particularly good in the photograph and that you kind of help inform them that that their entire performance, not just their playing of the instrument, but how they hold their body, how they tilt their head can make a huge difference in terms of how they appear in a photograph. Can Can you provide us an example of that? Yeah, there's there's a um I, I'm I'm not gonna name names. I have, I have some friends who play guitar, and uh, one of them in particular, we were sitting at his house, and and he went, I don't understand why you shot the same show as you know blah blah blah, and yet I look at their pictures, and they're I I, I I'm I'm really 
I really don't like the way I look in them. And then I look at your picture from the same show and it's like, what did you do? What did I do? What happened? I'm like, I like, well, you have a, you have a tendency to pull your head back when you play, you know, the high notes, when you're playing that lead guitar and you're pulling out, you know, that really cool thing, you kind of pull your face back and it, it, it makes your face look a little fat and you're pulling your chin in because that's just your natural reaction. But the, what it's doing is it's just making your face not look great. And most people who are shooting that moment are not looking at your face. They're looking at your hands or they're looking at the guitar. And then you look at the picture later and you don't look at the hands or the guitar. You look at your face and you're not feeling great about it because it looks a little, you know, fat than you really were. So, hey, if you want really good pictures and you don't want to see that anymore, you have to practice not pulling your face back. And it always reminded me of that bitter beer face commercial. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but there was this commercial where if you drank a bitter beer, your whole face scrunched up and pulled mm. back. And I kept describing that he had, you know, bitter beer guitar picks <laughs> because he would pull back on the guitar and his whole body would go backwards. I'm, I'm sitting in my chair doing it now. I'm pulling my head back. And if you pull your head back to your, you know, to your own chest, you start getting a double chin, even if you don't have one. And so we had this whole discussion that you, you have to pay attention to what you're doing with the rest of your body, not just your hands. And a lot of musicians don't think about it. Now, some of the guys who are out there today are very, you know, aware of exactly how they look and they will pose just about every moment, which is, you know, fantastic. So on the flip side, there's, there's some guys who really know how to work the camera. There's a, a band called Accept out of Germany. It's a German, um, you know, harder rock band. And their guitar player is a guy named Wolf Hoffman, who actually happens to be a photographer. But he's the perfect example of a guy who knows exactly what to do when a camera is pointed at him. And I'm not sure if it's because he's a photographer himself or if he just has an innate ability to realize how it's going to look on film. But when I shot that band, it was one of the hardest things to do to narrow down the pictures later because every single frame he's in, he looks good. Mm. He's, he's making the rock and roll poses. He's, he's got, you know, it's, it's just everything about it was like, oh, man, he's, he looks great there. He, he looks great there. He's got eye contact there. He's, you know, looking out of the crowd there. He's screaming here. It was like this guy knows just how to look good in front of a camera, and it's unbelievably easy to shoot. When people think about, you know, concert photography, they, th they think about the big venues, but the reality is, is that the performances that are happening in bars, that are happening in small clubs, do you have a, a, a preference as to, you know, the, the venue and what are the different challenges that you have, say, shooting in a small club as a, as opposed to a big, big stadium? The, the big stadiums are easy. You know, they, they might be harder to get access to and sometimes they're, further away from you're further away from the stage or, or stuff like that. But in reality, the, the big stages are just easy. There's lots of light. They're big name musicians. The stage production is great. You know, everything is fine. Bars and clubs, you know, the light is usually pretty crappy. It's usually dark. Uh, if they have lights, it's usually, you know, only a few colors and there's usually not a dedicated lighting director. It's usually some, you know, light guy in a bar. Like I did that for a couple of bands, you know, I'd sit there and cycle through the lights. And so it, it gets tough to actually get the exposure right. So it becomes really hard. You never mind the composition. You're just trying to make sure that you actually have, you know, settings enough to, to get the exposure correct. But 
if you can shoot in a bar or a club, you know, um, then the rest of it's easy. I did a lot of stuff with my friends who played in, you know, bar bands and you're sitting in there and you're, you're like, okay, I've got a 50 millimeter 1.4 or 1.8, you know, a nice little, not really expensive lens. It's, it's not a great, you know, zoom lens that's not going to get in really close, but it's a great lens to start with, especially if you're working in a bar. 50 millimeters, not terrible. You can get pretty close to the stage in most of these venues. It opens up all the way to 1.4. You start learning how to control the depth of field. You start learning exactly, you know, how much shutter speed you need to capture a guitar in motion. You know, is the band standing still? Are they running around? Are they, you know, leaping across the stage? I still love shooting in small venues. I mean, it's great to go, you know, shoot a big show with big lights and you walk and you walk out, but... There's still something really fun about being right in the middle of the crowd and, and watching a band, you know, try really hard and have a lot of fun. To me, I've shot enough bands that I want to shoot people who are having, a f who are having fun playing. If they're, if they're enjoying themselves on the stage, then it's just absolutely way more fun to shoot them. I've shot bands that are obviously where either they had a bad night, they were going through the motions, people weren't getting along, something was going on, and they didn't even look at each other. You know, they, they stood in their little spots and they played for the audience and everyone was really happy, but there was no real passion on the stage. Mm. That gets kind of like, uh, you know, I might as well be shooting a building. You know, it, there's nothing there that's really that's really going to grab you later on. So, if, so I'd 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 rather shoot a band playing in a in a small club with a you know a couple of red and green lights who are really really having a good time, than shoot a big band that's playing in a you know a great venue if they're boring. And a lot of people think I'm crazy that you know hey big bands are fun, but I've shot big bands and you know I I I'm looking for people who are having a good time. You talk about, you know, sort of capturing a moment and and there's so much happening on a stage at any given time. I mean, the players are changing the positions, you know, there's all this difference in terms of body language. There's um, the stuff that's happening with, with the lighting, but it's, it's still a, a very limited space on which you're shooting. So in terms of making a really good composition, um, how do you make that work? Particularly with sometimes, you know, the backgrounds aren't necessarily the best depending on the position that you're in. Um, I noticed when I saw you shooting recently that you kind of choose to be uh, along the side as opposed to being uh, up in the front. And I'm wondering how much positioning and awareness of everything in the frame, particularly the background, helps you in terms of being able to make an effective photograph. When I started, I didn't worry about the background. I didn't worry about anything but the performer. That was, that was like, I have to, you know, I have to get this performer in focus and, you know, exposed correctly. And that's a, that's a big challenge because you mentioned it a minute ago. There's a lot of changing lights when you're, when you're shooting concerts. Um, even in small clubs, it'll, you know, it can go from, you know, really dark to kind of dark to a little bit brighter back to really dark and, you know, big shows have strobes on stage and now we have LED lights which don't meter, you know, nicely. And um, sometimes we have big screens behind the performers that are, you know, lit up. And I, my main goal used to be just to try to get the performer in focus and exposed right and everything else I would worry about later. And at the same time, I was shooting in a lot of bars and clubs where being right up front dead center was really difficult because that puts you right in the, in the performer's uh, line of sight. And I didn't want to distract from the person on the stage. So I started going a little bit off to the right. 
and I kind of liked it over there. It was like I'm a little more comfortable. They're they're not noticing me. They're playing to the audience. I'm not a disruption to the the people who are you know stood in line who wanted to be up front. I'm I'm not a distraction to the band. And I started realizing that I also didn't have the microphone uh, directly in, in the performer's face, directly dead center, especially the lead singer. And I started realizing that that little side angle kind of worked for me. And I and I've been starting. I start off there just about every time now. I mean, I'll move if I can, and try to get different angles. But I'll I'll like to start right over there on that, you know, on the right side and kind of shoot across the stage. The problem with that is that you usually get a whole bunch of junk in the background. And I started realizing that I was getting all kinds of stuff that was distracting. Once you were done looking at the performer, things in the background started catching your eye and things in the background started um, distracting from the images. So I really started to try to understand what my shutter speed was doing. And I tried to understand how to wait. And, and watch the performers and see, you know, where they would move. And in the beginning, three songs or, you know, a couple of songs in a bar seems like a really short period of time. It's like, oh, my God, I'm panicked. I've got, I've got to capture this, and, and they're starting, and I'm going to be done in a few minutes. Um, after a while, I started realizing that three songs can actually be quite a, you know, 15 minutes. It can give me quite a lot of time to shoot. And if I slow down a little bit, um, A, I'm not just – you know, taking a bunch of pictures that I won't like and, and B, I can start looking to see what the performers are doing. And that really helped that slowing down a minute, having a look how they walk around the stage, having a look at what's on the stage, uh, watching the lights for, you know, uh, two minutes out of the song and seeing if they have a pattern, seeing, you know, what's being illuminated and what's not, um, really changed the way that I, I look at how I compose my images at the same time shooting in bars and clubs you you get a you get a you get lucky because a lot of times the background is just dark and you can be like okay if if I can get some light on the performer and I can keep that background dark then I'm I'm pretty good no one will see the background um now I've become a little bit more picky uh, you know as I go along and I try to actually use some of the background elements I'll look for lights that are shining that I can use as points in the picture to draw the attention to certain places I wrote a book on composition a couple of years ago, and it made me start rethinking um, using the, the really classic, you know, rule of thirds and all that kind of stuff in, in my concert images and not just not just hope I was getting a good composition after the exposure and, um, you know, was correct and the, the focus. Uh, well, when I started, I didn't have an autofocus camera. <laughs> my mm-hmm. cameras, you know, you were manually trying to line up that little split thing right in the middle. And um, I love autofocus and I use it all the time. I also understand that I can manually adjust it if I need to. Because uh, one thing with concert photography on the technical side is that you're shooting usually at very, very, very wide open apertures. F2.8 is like is like you're really happy. You know, it's like prime lenses, you can get down to 1.4. Uh, that means your depth of field is incredibly narrow. So if you're shooting in a bar and you're shooting, you know, three feet from the stage and you're using, you know, 1.4 or 1.8, you literally can have the, the hand on the guitar in focus and the guitar behind it not in focus. And, and are you finding that the higher ISO performance of the recent generation of cameras is really helping you? 
Oh yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, it's you can you can you have a little bit more leeway of shooting at thirty two hundred ISO now, and you can push that. You know, you can you can increase the the aperture if you want to. You know, two eight at you know four something like that. I still like shooting at it I, because of the way that I started out and using you know one point four and two point eight and all those nice you know little great big wide open apertures. I like that look, and I'll still use it. Um, but I know that it's there, and I know what it's doing, so I'm not. I'm making sure that I'm using that to my advantage. So if I'm shooting at 2.8, I know I'm going to get a nice blurred background, which really works, especially if there's a lot of junk in the background. So I I still use those, but I'm now understanding. I, I understand more exactly what it's doing. A lot of times, you, you especially in concerts, I feel like, man, I have to use today and I have to shoot at 1600 ISO and I have to shoot at 1 25th of a second because otherwise it's just too dark. And you're like, okay, that's fine. And after a while, you start having, I start having to look at those things and go, what exactly is this doing? What, what am I getting out of this? You know, since this is where I have to shoot, you know, how can I use this to my advantage? And one of the things that I started doing was realizing that those really wide apertures gave me a nice blurred background. And a nice blurred background that's a little bit darker means that I don't have to worry so much about what's going on in the background. Mm that I can have those lights back there and they can be kind of blurred and give me a nice pattern behind the performer. So it wasn't, it wasn't like one of those things that instantly one day I went, Oh, I need to start watching the backgrounds. It just started happening over time. Um, and it was a real progression. The first thing that I learned was that I needed to get the exposure right. When I first saw exposure composition on a camera, I didn't understand what I was actually doing, but it looked to me that if I dialed in the exposure composite comp, compensation, I could get a better exposure and the dark scenes would be lighter. Now, I didn't understand that the camera was actually just dropping my shutter speed for me. Mm. Man, this is great. I'm getting all these great images. And then I get the roll of film back and I'd be like, everyone's blurry. How did that happen? It was looking, you know, the, the little exposure meter was fantastic and the camera looked great. So I, I, I wasn't actually, I, I didn't have a, a firm grasp of how to, you know, deal with the exposure. So the first thing that I had to do was make sure that it was correct. Because there's no good getting a really, really, you know, great composed image and everyone in it is blurry and it's not on purpose. Mm. So that was like the first part. And then after that, it was like, okay, if I'm exposure, I can now start paying attention to the composition. So I would pay attention to the performer. After I got that down and I'm like, okay, I can nail a performer and I can get the exposure right. Now I started paying attention to the backgrounds and the edges of the frame and not cutting off the instruments and, and watching, you know, stuff in the background. And nowadays I still, I try to like run my around the edge of the frame, make sure nothing is poking in or coming out. And, uh, it's just a, it's just a progression, you know, down down the line. If I would have started worrying about backgrounds before I was getting the exposure right, it wouldn't, it, you know, nothing would have worked. Yeah. Well, you you wrote a book called All Access: Your Backstage Pass to, to Concert Photography, and it's a pretty comprehensive book in terms of not just shooting concerts but getting access. Tell me about the, the idea for the book. I mean, why why did you write it? I, I can imagine that you were you've been approached a lot about people wanting to ask advice, but you know, even though you cover a lot in the book, what did you feel like, you know, these, this is, were there certain points that you felt like this is really important to understand if one, someone's really serious about it? Can you, can you, could you hit a couple of points that you thought that were really essential for anyone really invested in producing this kind of work? 
Well, the, the first thing I always I get asked is how do I get my you know how do you get your camera into a show? How do you get the photo pass? How do you get you know to be that guy in the front? And um, you know that's a that's something that just took time, it, and it took it took me asking a lot of people, you know, can I shoot your concert? And a lot of times they said no, and then someone said yes. And, you know, then I, someone else said yes. And, and I asked a whole bunch more and I got told no, 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 no. And then someone else said yes. And one of the things that I, I think is really important is that if you never ask the person if you can shoot the concert, they never get the opportunity to let you shoot the concert. And a lot of people get hung up on that point. They're like, well, if, how do I get Just ask. You have to ask. And um, that, was, uh, that was one of those things that... I, I know a lot of people now who have read the book and talked to me. And, and um, I also teach a, a concert photography pre-conference class for Photoshop world. Um, uh, we've done it for the last couple of years. And a lot of the t- times people will come to me after that class and they'll be like, Hey, you know what? I, I, I just emailed off to a publicist um, for a band I want to shoot at home. And they said, yes. Or, uh, wow, there's this band playing, you know, in town tomorrow night. And I just went and asked them and they said yes. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. Like, we never asked before because we never thought about asking. We never knew who to ask or how to find them. And so I kind of covered that in the book, um, that if you want to shoot concerts, you need to ask people to let you shoot the concert. Mm -hmm. I know it seems really simple, but it's one of those things that people get hung up on a lot. Um, the, the book process for All Access was a little bit different because it's a book I wanted to write from the very beginning. I always thought it would be a fun book to write. Um, I, I, there's, there was one other concert photography book at the time. It was written in, I think, the 1980s. Uh, all the pictures are black and white, and it talks about developing your film. And mm-hmm. I was, That's not really that relevant anymore, and a lot of the rules have changed. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the things have changed since then, so... I thought it'd be a really fun, you know, fun book for people to, you know, to have. If there was no one out there when I was starting, there was no book for me to look at that explained any of the stuff. And I had to learn it all by asking people and by, by making a lot of mistakes. And so I figured that if um, there was anyone out there who was interested in doing this, like I was, then here would be a book that they could use. And it'd be like asking me and sitting down with me and going, okay, so, you know, how did you do it? And then I could explain to them how it, I did it. I'm not saying everyone should do it the same way. I'm just, this is just one method. It's been, it's been really well received <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, people seem to like it. Now, the other thing that I, I put in the book that I think is really unique, um, is that I went and asked a bunch of friends who are either musicians or publicists or other concert photographers, or um, work in the industry in some manner. I, I got a lighting director. I got you know all kinds of people. Sorry, um, to give me their impressions and their ideas about concert photography. So in the book, there's at the end of each chapter, um, there's a you know interview with someone in the in the industry to um, you know about concert photography, which kind of opened it up. It's not just m- my ideas. It was kind of like there's a whole bunch of different opinions. Let's, you know, uh, get those out there as well. Now it just so happens most of them agree with me, but that's, you know, um, that's just lucky. (laughs) 
One of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I've read a couple of times online about the agreements that publicists give to photographers, you know, before they can shoot their concerts. And, and some of the terms have been pretty onerous to the point that, you know, the, the band, uh, if you sign it, owns, you're turning over the copyright of the image uh, to them uh, just for the, you know, for the opportunity to shoot them. So tell us about how that's, how that's changed in terms of uh, what you do and, and, and how do you handle that? Particularly when, you know, you arrive at the venue and then someone throws a piece of paper in your face and says, well, you got to shoot this before you can, you got to sign this before you get to even shoot a single image. Yeah, that's, um, that's a real problem. There's been two, uh, two bands this year that I have flat out turned down to shoot because of their, uh, their agreement. It's a, it's a rights grab agreement. And it's usually, um, it usually states something to the fact that, yeah, if you shoot this concert, the band owns the rights to these images um, forever and ever, and you you get the luxury of shooting us. But if we ever sell an image or use it as a poster or turn it into an album cover, you know, um, too bad. We're sorry. We're It's our image. And uh, I don't sign those. I don't shoot those bands. It's, it's really simple for me. Now... I know that there are other photographers who have no problem with that. They, the idea of shooting the band outweighs the idea of losing the rights to their images. And I might have felt differently if someone handed me that, you know, 20 years ago. Um, but now I don't shoot them. I actually advise every other photographer out there who is uh, handed one of those things to turn it down and not shoot the band. Uh, sooner or later, if no one is photographing the band because of that, maybe they'll get the idea that that's not a good business practice. Um, it would it would be a little bit like me having a recording studio, and any band that came to record in my recording studio, then you know I owned their music. It's a little bit it's a little bit bizarre. It goes against uh, U.S. copyright law. It goes against um, what I think is a, <laughs> a moral code. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there's a lot of things that that are wrong with it. Um, but it's, again, it's from my experience and, and these are just from a couple of bands that have handed me this, um, it's usually someone in management, uh, or some, you know, publicity company or some record label and they've decided that they want to own all the images and they don't want anyone to put out, you know, bootleg t-shirts or whatever it is. And so this is how they're going to stop it. Of course, that doesn't stop the person in the front row of the cell camera taking, you know, uh, pictures all night and doing whatever they want with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, honestly, it's it's become a real detriment. I have been lucky enough that the last two times this has really happened this year is that I have had um, notice from the publicist beforehand that this was in place. So it wasn't something that I went to a venue or spent any money on or drove somewhere and then was handed this piece of paper that I refused to sign. Um, so in both cases, I, I knew, I, I knew that I wasn't one band actually was coming to San Diego and I didn't even bother going you know, down there to shoot any of the other bands that were on the bill because of the rights release um, grab. And the other time it happened was the headliner at a festival, and I still wanted to shoot the opening acts who did not have the, the same contract. So I went up and I, I photographed them, and then I left before the, uh, the headliner took the stage. Um, there was no point in being there. I was not going to sign that release. Um, and 
It's a business thing. Usually if you talk to, if I actually ever spoke to a band member and I said, you know, what's up with this? There's a good chance they'd be like, we didn't even know that was there. I'll, I'll, I'll give the musicians the benefit of the doubt. And I'm sure there's some people out here listening to this and going, no, the musicians all know. It's like, well, maybe some of them do, but I'll give the musicians the benefit of the doubt and I'll blame it on middle management or some record label somewhere. You've had the opportunity to photograph a lot of performance over the years. Is there a performer that you haven't had a chance to photograph yet that you would just love to? Oh, there's a bunch. I mean, there's. I have a. I have a a long bucket list of performers that I think would be really fun to shoot. Who I haven't had the opportunity yet. Um, in my current, uh, you know, position as as being the guy that the Valley View Casino Center hires for their event stuff. I've been able to knock off a bunch of names off that list in the last two years, which has been really fun. Um, I just shot Peter Gabriel recently. Uh, I've got Rush coming up next month. So a couple of those, those bands I really wanted to shoot. Um, I, I'd love to shoot you 2 I've never shot them. It's, it's um, always been, haven't been in town. They haven't played at a venue I've had access to. You know, there's always been something. But I've, I've seen them in concert a bunch of times. I've never been able to shoot them. So I'd love to be able to shoot um, you two. Uh, as far as like, um, you know, I really wanted to photograph Eric Clapton. Um, but I've seen Eric Clapton from, uh, I actually had front row tickets a couple of years ago to his show. And I went to the last tour he was on and, and the tour before. I was like a, just a huge Eric Clapton fan. Um, and nowadays all the photography for his shows are done from the soundboard and, and you know, across the room. And, and so if he would allow us to shoot from the photo pit or, you know, have a different angle, I'd love to shoot Eric Clapton. But I have no urge to, you know, photograph something where it's you know, kind of boring from the back of the room. Yeah. Um, uh, the Rolling Stones are going back out on tour or playing in London. And, and while that would have been a great band to shoot, I think, 20 years ago, um, I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's some, but it, like I said, I, I'm I would rather shoot a band that's up and coming and having a blast on stage because that just becomes more you know more fun to shoot. Um, I got asked to shoot a band called The Devil Wears Product uh, about a year ago by their publicist, and I shot them up in L.A. And they were just having—I mean, they just had so much fun on stage, and it's loud and you know crazy music. But it was like frantic, great energy. And I'm like, they're, you know, will they ever become a giant name? I mean, I'm sure they hope so. And, and they're playing in a lot of festivals and they're not quite headlining yet, but they're, you know, either closing the side stage or opening the main stage kind of thing. And they're doing really well. And they're a blast to shoot. I mean, I'd rather go shoot them again than some band that's just going to stand there and, you know, and, and not do much. Yeah. Well, well, my last question is I ask each guest to recommend another photographer for our listeners to uh, discover for themselves. And it can be anyone, either someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? It's not going to be a concert guy. And I, and if everyone probably has known him, you know, Joe McNally is probably um, the reason that I still actually take photographs. And it has nothing to do with, any image of his or anything, he was giving a talk one year in San Diego and I was at a point where I wasn't really happy taking pictures. It was kind of like I was just going through the motions 
And here's this guy who I'd never actually heard of before, which was surprising. And he was, he came out and he did this talk and he, he was using these new speed lights from Nikon and, you know, he had a ballerina leap across the stage and he wirelessly triggered lights and he just had a lot of fun doing it. And he created these great images and he left me feeling like I could go home and do that. I mean, I can't, I tried, you know, I'm not Joe. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, but I started looking at his images and the way that he had captured stuff and, while he's not a concert photographer, thank God, because um, really wouldn't need that kind of competition in a photo pit. He puts together these, you know, on-location portrait shoots in in moments. He's had, you know, people in front of the camera for seconds and come away with some just iconic images. And to me, that is just an unbelievable talent. And to look at how he can capture like a moment, um, you know, and it's like, here it is, one image. Again, you know, I'm doing a, it's a National Geographic story. It's this main spread or here's a portrait of, you know, Ken Kesey or, you know, here's the Olympic, you know, water polo team. It's like he just has these iconic images that to me, um, every time I need a little inspiration, I go look and see what he's managed to, to capture, you know, in a, sometimes a couple of seconds in front of the camera. Mm. And that's always been, you know, something that I, I recommend people look at. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I interviewed him a couple of years back, and I'll put a link to that on on my uh, on the site for the the blog entry for this uh, interview. I'm actually lucky enough to meet Joe, you know, working at Photoshop World, and and you know, uh, he's just an incredibly down to earth, nice guy too. So, you know, combined with all the photography, he's just you know really down to earth, and it's not like he doesn't keep himself up on a pedestal, even though he creates images that will you know be admired forever. Yeah. Well, where can people find out more about everything that you do, Alan? Uh, I am uh, alanhessphotography.com is probably the, the, the best place. I'm active on all kinds of different social media, too, where they're all linked right from the website now. You can, you can find me on Google Plus and Facebook and Twitter and all those places. But uh, my latest, um, my, my alanhessphotography.com is the place that all that links to. And I try to put up uh, blog posts um, after every concert shoot I do. Um, at least the ones that I'm allowed to. Uh, sometimes the ones that I do for um, some clients don't get posted. You know, and, and when I shoot stuff that's not concert related, that usually doesn't get posted either. Um, and that's also a link to you can find any of the books that I've written on photography and the iPad, uh, which are all linked from there. Uh, throw, I'll throw out one extra little photographer because we mentioned him earlier. So if if, if anyone's interested in, in what you know the classic concert photography guy was who did all the backstage portraits is Jim Marshall, you know, and we talked about him earlier. So that's not really anything new. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if people are really into this and they don't know who Jim Marshall is, they need to stop yeah. everything they're doing and, and check it out. Right. Yeah. He's, he, he is, he's the man. He's, he's the, yeah. If, if that's, if you got one influence and you got one person to go look to, that's, that would be the guy in the concert world. Um, you know, and he, he's passed away now. It's a real shame, but well, thank you so much, time. Uh, sure. Thank you for your time, Alan. It was great, great chance to talk to you. Oh, it was my pleasure. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. 
The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod, and this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.